ंट्री and then in the last 7 years we have seen several iterations of the bill which were presented at the parliament the bill was sent to the joint parliamentary committee which made significant and substantive changes to the law as well and ultimately uh the bill which was suggested by the joint parliamentary committee was withdrawn by the government uh and subsequently uh in august 2023 the digital personal data protection bill uh, was introduced in the parliament the bill has been passed by both the houses it has received the assent of the president of india as well and the bill and the bill at uh, the act uh, which we refer to it as the dpdp act has also been published uh, in the official gazette however the various provisions of the law have not come into force as yet uh, the various provisions of the law uh, so the government is going to follow a staggered approach where different dates are going to be provided for different provisions of the law to come into force 
Peter, thank you so much for sharing the brief journey and also on the right to privacy, fundamental right aspect of it. So what are the salient features of this particular legislation, DPDP Act, including its underlying principles? Yes. So the Indian Data Protection Law, it is essentially a GDPR-style law uh, with the same guiding principles. And there are seven broad principles on, on the basis of which the DPDP Act has been legislated. They are, number one, lawfulness, fairness, and transparency. Uh, what that means is that each company or organization needs to identify a lawful purpose for the purpose of collection and processing of personal data. Uh, companies need to be fair in their processing activities. Uh, processing must be done in a manner uh, which is fair and which protects the interest of the individuals. Uh, transparency means that companies need to be very transparent regarding their processing activities. They need to provide adequate information to the individuals regarding the personal data that they are collecting and the various purposes for which they are processing their personal data. The second guiding principle is purpose limitation. So there's an obligation on companies to ensure that they only use personal data for the purpose for which it was collected in the first place. So companies can't today collect personal data for a particular purpose and you know, at a later point of time, use that data for some other purpose. So that is not permissible. Thirdly, data minimization. So there's an obligation on organizations to ensure that they only collect personal data which is necessary for them to provide their service. Right. So companies cannot force uh, individuals to share data which is not necessary or excessive. Uh, third, fourthly, accuracy. There's an obligation on organizations to ensure that, that the personal data in the database is kept uh, correct, accurate and consistent. Uh, fifthly, storage limitation. So come organizations today cannot store data, personal data for perpetuity. Once the purpose for which the personal data was collected, once the purpose has been served, or if the individual has withdrawn their consent, then there's an obligation on companies to ensure that within a reasonable period of time, they delete that data from their database. And if they have shared that data with any other third party, so there's an obligation to ensure that those particular third parties as well also delete the data from their database. The only carve-out is that in case there's a particular law which requires personal data to be stored for a particular period of time, then in that case, companies can retain data to fulfill their legal obligation. So these were the guiding principles of the law. Uh, just uh, another guiding principle is integrity and confidentiality. So there's an obligation on companies to ensure that they implement appropriate technical and organizational measures, as well as reasonable security safeguards to ensure that the personal data is protected. So these are the guiding principles on the basis of which the entire act has been legislated. Now coming to the applicability of the act. So this act is applicable to any personal data which is collected online or if any personal data is collected offline and subsequently digitized. Uh, personal data which is completely maintained offline does not fall within the scope and ambit of this act. Aditya, it is also interesting to note that this act also has an extraterritorial application. So entities outside India, uh, right. if they are processing personal data of residents in India for the purpose of offering goods and services, then even they are required to comply with the provisions of this law. And you know, one question arises in this case is that what happens because the entity is located outside, 
so how would the government actually enforce the law against those particular entities who don't have a base in india so under the law interestingly they've also introduced a provision that in case there are two or more violations uh, by any entity of the data protection act then the data protection board which is going to be the regulatory body they can write to the central government and request for actually blocking of access to that particular app or website so the law needs to be respected and complied by both entities in india as well plus entities outside as well now on the other hand any processing of personal data which is done for any personal or, or domestic purpose uh, does not fall within the purview of this law so any information for example you share on your uh, social media platforms of your friends and family you know that falls within the purview of domestic or pers- personal pur- uh, personal purpose and therefore you don't need to comply with the law right uh, now how the law has been structured mm-hmm. is on one hand there are these significant obligations on a data fiduciary so data fiduciary is the entity which needs to comply with the law and a data fiduciary is the entity which actually determines the purpose and means of processing of personal data so the entity which determines why personal data needs to be collected and what is the purpose for which that personal data needs to be processed is known as a data fiduciary so under this law a data fiduciary needs to identify a lawful purpose for the processing of the personal data and what the law provides is there are two two lawful purposes which are provided one is consent that if you have the consent of the individual then you can process the personal data or certain legitimate uses which is a list of particular processing activities provided that in case your processing falls under any of those legitimate uses then you can process the personal data of individuals without seeking their consent i think the most critical yes. thing in this particular legislation is uh, it is largely as largely a very consent heavy law so for majority of the processing operations of personal data by by entities they need to seek the consent of the individual and consent has been defined there's a very broad definition of what constitutes consent under the law and consent has been defined to be freely given specific informed unconditional and an unambiguous indication with a clear affirmative action by the data principal signifying her agreement to the processing of personal data for a specified purpose and limited to personal data which is necessary for such specified purpose so this is a very broad definition which will result in companies changing their you know current practices uh where they need to provide a privacy notice to the individuals they need to unbundle you can't have a bundled uh, consent so today companies can't say that you know i'm collecting and processing your personal data for various purposes you you have to give uh, your request for consent in a very granular manner and seek consent for different specific processing operations now the law also provides is that you know your privacy notice uh, which we typically find on you know companies websites and in the applications uh, you know which are quite long yes. and at times even difficult for a lawyer to understand the scope and ambit of that privacy notice so that is not going to be permissible anymore so the law provides is that you need to draft provide a privacy notice to the individuals the privacy notice must be drafted in clear and simple language for the common man to understand and additionally 
that privacy notice must also be provided to the individual in 20 in all the languages which are set out in the schedule uh, in the 8th schedule of the constitution of india and there are 22 regional languages set out in the 8th schedule so your privacy notice has to be provided in effectively 22 different languages which i feel is going to be a challenge now what the government has also done is you know one question arises that what happens to the current business operations and what happens to the current personal data which companies have does it mean that once the law comes into force all those companies will have to re-seek consent so what the government has included a provision is that before the commencement of this law if you already had consent then you can continue to process the personal data of the individuals without re-seeking their consent what you only require to do is to send a notice to all those individuals providing details of the personal data that you collect uh, that you have the various purposes for which you using that personal data the rights that the individuals have under the law plus the manner in which a complaint can be filed before the data protection board so this is actually uh, a business friendly provision which has introduced to ensure that you know there's seamless transition to the new law right now yes like i mentioned how the law has been structured is that on one hand you have these a uh, significant number of compliances which data fiduciaries are required to carry out but on the other hand there are several rights which have been provided to the individuals so there are various rights provided to the individuals under the law as well which is number one right to access information about personal data so today you can you know write to a company and ask them that please let me know what personal data you have about me what are the various purposes for which you're using my personal data which are the third party entities with whom you've shared my personal data with second is right to correction uh, you can ask a data fiduciary to correct uh, your personal data uh, third is right to erasure of personal data so any personal data which a company may have uh, you have a right to request them to delete that personal data and additionally there are rights to grievance redressal plus the right to nominate so in case of incapacity you know you can nominate any other person to exercise your rights under this law now how the law will be enforced is so typically there's going to be a regulatory body uh, which will be established the body will be known as a data protection board and the data protection board will be given the power uh, to carry out inquiries pass orders directions and levy hefty penalties on companies uh, for violation of the provisions of this law now the penalties there's a schedule of penalties which has been set out under the law where for different violations uh, you have different uh, penalty which is set out and penalty for a violations can extend up to 250 crores under this act all right uh, that's very nice sir of you to in a very uh, bracketed way in very in subsections understanding the duties of the fiduciaries and rights of users and what are the administrative aspects of it we haven't seen the but it is being set up as we hope maybe in new year or it is in the process uh, my next that, question would be great yeah yes um, as we think of data protection law the most stringent and the most famous we are in the global parlance and what are the comparative differences that you see between india's data protection and will global businesses find it much easier to comply with india's 
they have been working towards compliance with the gdpr over a sufficient period of time what's your opinion sure uh so like i mentioned previously that the indian data protection law is essentially a gdpr style law so for the purpose of drafting of the legislation uh the government has been influenced by the gdpr by the singapore and the australian privacy legislations uh now the indian law you know uh, this is the first time that a legislation has been drafted in a very simple manner uh using simple language uh with the intent that the common man is also able to understand uh, the provisions of the law but i believe in their quest for simplicity uh the government has ended up drafting a law which i believe when it comes to compliance is even more complex than the gdpr and i'll discuss how now as far as the differences concerned is uh, one of the major differences that uh, under the gdpr uh, the entity which is obligated to comply with the law which determines the purpose and means is known as the data controller on the other hand in india we use the nomenclature of data fiduciary Uh, so under the indian law there's a higher duty of trust which uh, organizations processing personal data have towards the individuals whose personal data is being collected and processed secondly uh, the gdpr is also you know apart from digital personal data it is also applicable to any processing of personal data offline if that offline data is part of any structured uh, filing system but under the indian law uh, the 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 law is only applicable to digital personal data which is collected online or if certain data is collected offline and subsequently digitized now one of the chief differences you know between the indian law and the gdpr is so like i mentioned you know there is there needs to be a lawful purpose or a lawful basis for uh, processing of personal data so indian law is very consent heavy So under the GDPR, there are these several non-consent-based lawful bases which are provided, uh, where you know companies can actually process personal data without seeking the consent of the individual. But in India, we have very limited legitimate uses or non-consent-based lawful bases for the processing of personal data, and I think the significant departure which the Indian government has made is, is under the GDPR, you there are these two very important lawful bases which is. any processing for the performance of a contract and leg- any processing if it's in the legitimate interest uh, of the data fiduciary and uh, unless that legitimate interest uh, you know does not override the rights and freedoms of the individuals now unfortunately under the indian law those two those two uh, lawful bases have not been included under our law so therefore for majority of the processing operations companies would necessarily have to take the consent of the individuals and the challenge will be particularly you know for those entities which do not have a direct interface with the end user i mean think of us i'll give you an example you know think of a online travel aggregator platform so if a user goes uh, and wants to uh, you know book a flight or a book a you know hotel room then he shares his information with the ota platform and then the ota further transfers the information to the airline or the hotel now the airline hotel and the ota are each different you know data fiduciaries and all of them need to comply with the law so typically the ota will have direct interface to the user and the ota can provide the privacy notice to the user and get its consent but the hotel and the airline which will not have direct interface with the user it will be difficult for them or even impossible to actually give a privacy notice and seek consent of the individual typically under the gdpr performance of a contract 
was the lawful basis for such processing activities so i think that's going to be a very challenge for certain indian companies to comply with this law i think the other uh, you know main departure is that you know one of the rights which are provided to individuals under the gdpr is right to data portability where the individual can request for their personal data to be you know ported to another platform so that right to data portability is actually missing under the indian law well though i believe that in case of a dominant player who maybe you know maybe held to constitute an essential facility that data portability is an issue which can be looked into under the competition laws well apart from that uh, another i feel uh, you know uh, a departure from the gdpr which has been made in, under the indian law i think which is going to be uh, extremely burdensome on companies is when it comes to data breaches personal data breaches so under the gdpr uh, the law provides that in case there is a personal data breach which is uh, you know uh, which is likely to cause harm to the individuals where there is a certain risk to the individuals then you then then there is an obligation to notify the supervising authority in the relevant uh, eu member state and only if the data breach is such that is it is likely to cause a significant harm to the individuals whose personal data may have been compromised that there is an obligation to notify each affected data principal unfortunately under the indian law that risk threshold has not been included so therefore any personal data breach irrespective of whether they may be a risk to the individual or not would necessarily have to be notified to the data protection board and each affected data principal yes so that is i think going to be extremely challenging for companies uh, to comply with right so thank you so much for pointing out these important uh, comparative differences as we see there's been curiosity between how what which is more stringent and you have rightly pointed out the essential aspects of both of them and stringent in india as well as you rightly pointed out and how it can be uh and what are the important things to be considered for businesses right so, so you know though aditya that was understand ha aditya though that was not the intent of the government because they've drafted a very simple law to you know maintain a balance between the rights of the individuals plus you know innovation and uh, the benefit of startups in processing of personal data but i think these certain omissions which which have been made will actually end up being uh, proving to be much more complex and complicated uh, to in fact uh, comply with the indian law right so we also understand that india's data protection law has been published but has not come and what do you think uh, what according to you is the like when is the law expected to come into force and what are the time when it provide companies to comply with the law maybe about 6 months and year or as per what global jurisdictions might have provided earlier so uh, so the law has been passed it's uh, you know been published in the official gazette and like i mentioned the various provisions are not coming to force as yet so based on the you know statements made by the it minister we understand that uh, i think by the end of december the rules the various rules are going to be out and those rules are likely to be notified by january end and then 
you know based on statements of the and the stand that uh, a period of 6 uh, to 8 months is going to be provided to companies to comply with the provisions of this law uh, and just to give you an idea you know it's a very uh, uh, it's a very short timeline for companies to actually comply with the provisions of this law considering the numerous obligations on data fiduciaries under the act and in fact when the gdpr came in companies and organizations were given a period of almost 2 years to comply with the law so despite uh, the tech industry in india requesting the government to provide 2 years to comply with the law i think the government has made it very clear that they are looking at a time period of 6 to 8 months for implementation to commence okay that is uh, very friendly to the industry i believe and uh, let us hope for rules which good part industry good for the users as well as we talk about right to privacy Uh, my next question would be can you also provide the interplay which is also the title of our podcast today that how we understand the interplay between personal data protection laws the possibility of a jurisdictional overlap between competition act and the dpdp act so aditya so you know in uh, sorry am i audible right okay so you know in today's digital economy uh, personal data has gained a significant economic value and possession of you know more and more personal data is often considered to be a competitive advantage for uh, players in the tech industry right and also we understand that competition particularly in the digital space has transcended mere price wars and the issue of overlap between data privacy Uh, or personal data protection and uh, competition law arises because today privacy has been has been considered and privacy has emerged as a pivotal non-price parameter of competition and uh, the importance that businesses give to data privacy you know at the end of the day influences consumer choices uh, helps to bring bring uh, build their brand reputation and trust and increase competition in the market i mean this could be you know easily gauged with apple promoting its products you know offering higher degrees of privacy to the individuals so privacy today is no longer you know a require a legal or a ethical requirement but today has become a competitive advantage for companies and a differentiator for businesses and definitely you know companies today that actually respect the privacy of individuals gain a significant competitive advantage now because the digital economy is data driven you know uh, and a widespread collection of personal data has given rise to these platform based ecosystems and i would use the word ecosystem of digital products and services therefore you know over a period of time this has raised a lot of eyebrows of competition regulators across the world as you know one particular entity with high volumes of personal data may put other players in, in the market at a competitive disadvantage or for example a dominant platform you know on account of its dominance on account of its significant market power may actually impose unfair terms and conditions in the privacy policy uh, and the users would have no choice but to accept the terms which are forced by the uh, dominant player so as such there are overlapping jurisdictional issues between the competition act 
and as well as the uh, the data privacy law and you know in the times to come we are we are likely to see uh, this jurisdictional fight uh, or a jurisdictional turf war between the competition commission of india and the data protection board but just to give you a background so initially the competition commission of india was a bit hesitant in interfering with data protection allegations and uh, consider these to be outside the purview of the competition act however in a market study uh, pertaining to the telecom sector the cci in that report acknowledged the need for free consent for collection of data by dominant undertakings the cci had also noted that you know when a dominant entity acquires personal data it can actually cross link that personal data with multiple users to retain the user in the ecosystem right uh now for the purpose in order to understand yeah. the overlap it is important to understand the you know the intents the aim and aspirations behind both the legislations see the necessity for consent in gathering and processing of personal data particularly by dominant entities will fall within the purview of both the data protection law as well as the competition act now where would the conflict arise see the conflict arises from the differing intents and objectives of both these legislations while the dptp act you know strives to curb the misuse of personal data the competition act on the other hand is geared towards preventing dominant entities from unfairly leveraging consent to collect personal data for their commercial gains now the conflict arises is that which statute would be relevant to determine whether the consent granted is a valid consent or not now if you have two different authorities two statutory uh, authorities who are embarking to determine the same issue then there is a, always a possibility of conflicting findings right now w- what is important to understand is uh, that you know in the recent past so there was this investigation which was directed by the cci against whatsapp so for context whatsapp in 2021 had in updated its privacy policy which mandated the users to facilitate sharing of its uh, personal data with meta which was previously known as facebook in order to be able to use whatsapp messaging services so the policy actually did not give a right to the individuals to withdraw their consent or provided an opt out option and would lead to sharing of you know all their information which is being collected on whatsapp with facebook which will include your mobile number your transaction data service related information information on how it interacts with others ip address etc now thereafter the complaint was for, filed before the cci alleging that whatsapp is in a dominant position and that whatsapp has made these significant changes to its privacy policy without seeking the consent of the individuals now the cci formed a prime officer view that this take it or leave it policy of whatsapp on account of its dominant position and the significant mar- market power that whatsapp exercises in the country uh, coupled with you know the impact of network effects you know warranted a detailed investigation subsequently the order of the cci directly investigation has been challenged before the delhi high court and the supreme court by way of writs but the investigation has not been stayed by any of the courts and the investigation is ongoing now the challenge arises is i think one of the reasons why the commission took up that investigation at that point of time 
because there was no data protection law in the country so effectively all these issues were not really being dealt with but let's suppose that there was a data protection law in force at that point of time and whatsapp's privacy policy was challenged before the data protection board as well as the cci so this would lead to a situation where two regulatory bodies are, are inquiring on the same issue and therefore the result may be conflicting decisions also it is important to understand what would happen in a situation that if the data protection board holds that whatsapp's privacy policy is in compliance with the provisions of the dpdp act but the cci takes a contrary view that whatsapp's policy of not seeking consent is actually abusive and that whatsapp is able to indulge in such conduct on account of its dominant position so this is the conflict that is likely to arise right between two regulatory bodies another conflicting issue or a jurisdictional overlap which may arise is in case you know for example a competition authority holds that a dominant player is actually an essential facility and directs that essential facility to actually share its personal data which it has in its database with the competitor so that you know there is effective competition in the market now in such a situation if the dominant player you know can take the view that such sharing of personal data is actually a violation of the provisions of the data protection act so that is another jurisdictional overlap you know that we may see in the future right sir but as courts have adjudicated that cci has a follow on jurisdiction but you had a very good point here that policy if i if a company's policy is uh, compliant with the data protection act but if that policy is cannot then what to do with the policy whether to scrap it edit it or what remedies can the courts suggest my last question would be that how courts uh, would uh, deal with the jurisdictional conflicts that uh, between the competition regulator and the data protection regulator in due courts so see the you know the see the competition commission of india has always asserted that in any situation when it comes to competition it shall remain as the exclusive body to resolve any antitrust or competition related issue and like i mentioned the interplay emerges because today privacy is being considered as a pivotal non price parameter of competition so th- so these jurisdictional overlaps are likely to you know to take to come into play in the future once the indian data protection law you know is comes into force now how would you resolve the situation so i think we, you know we get a cue from one of the previous cases before the cci uh, which were ultimately you know challenged by way of writ before the supreme court so this was a particular case where there was this new telecom operator who had just entered the market this was reliance geo and reliance geo had filed an information before the cci alleging that the other telecom operators were colluding and had formed a cartel and decided not to provide adequate points of interconnection to reliance geo which was impacting its business now the cci had directed investigation against the other telecom players on the grounds that you know prima facie there is collusion and prima facie these companies have jointly determined not to provide adequate points of interconnection to reliance geo 
the matter was ultimately sub- subsequently challenged uh, before a writ court so the jurisdiction of the cci to cha- to carry out the investigation was actually challenged before the bombay high court right and then the matter ultimately went to the supreme court of india so the challenge was that the issue of whether adequate points of interconnection were whether or not were provided to reliance jio is currently pending before the telecom regulatory authority of india try and therefore the cci does not have jurisdiction because this is primarily a telecom related issue and the cci does not have jurisdiction to to direct this investigation right now the supreme court held that the telecom regulatory authority of india uh, which is try is in fact better suited to decide cases pertaining to the interpretation or clarification of contract clauses unified license and interconnection agreements and whether or not adequate points of interconnection were provided to jio by these other telecom pr- players however the supreme court also noted that the spec noted that you know the cci has a very specific and important role to play as a you know competition market regulator that cannot be simply wished away and that comity ought to be maintained so ultimately the finding of the supreme court was that right. since the matter pertained to the telecom sector which is specifically regulated by try try would have primacy to deal with the matter to determine the issues of interconnection and subsequently based on the findings of try investigation by the cci can be initiated that means that try would determine whether or not adequate points of interconnection were provided to reliance jio and if they were not provided then the cci can actually investigate whether the reason for not providing adequate points of interconnection was on account of a, of a collusion or a cartel agreement between the other telecom players so i think i think in cases of jurisdictional overlap you know which may arise between the cci and the data protection board i think a similar approach needs to be followed that is the jurisdictional issue first needs to be determined by the relevant sta- uh, regulator that is determination of whether the processing activities of a dominant player violate the provisions of the dpdp act and subsequently determination of whether such conduct uh, amounts to an abuse of dominance you know can be taken up by the cci so parallel inquiries by these two regulators must be avoided and rather there needs to be a sequencing approach which should be followed as was directed by the supreme court in the bharti edel case so you need to look at the core issue for example if you just take the example of whatsapp the issue that the cci is investigating is that whether whatsapp imposed unfair terms in its privacy policy uh which was you know shared with the individuals whether those terms were unfair and whether that amounted to abuse of dominant position or not now in that particular situation let's assume today you know you know once the data protection law comes into board i think how you have to play this is that first the data protection board needs to determine whether the privacy policy is in compliance with the data protection law or not and then if it holds that the policy is not in compliance the, after that finding reaches finality then the competition commission can take up the matter whether that amounts to abuse of dominance under section 4 of the act or not so much sir for explaining us the very recent case of cci on data privacy that is a whatsapp case thank you for enlightening us on the interface of data and antitrust telling us about the salient features of the data protection act of india its relation with gdpr then important features the duties of 
the fiduciary as well as the rights of the users it has been very interesting hosting you and learning about these new aspects as well as the interlinkage between data and antitrust and we look forward to hosting you in future and i hope that the audience found this podcast very much helpful thank you so much Thank you.